0: how to build an authorship business without breaking the bank with special guest Ray Rem on today's episode. Today's episode is brought to you by LearnDash, the backbone of my membership area. Launch your next course on the right foot at CERNMaster.com front slash LearnDash. Are
1: you tired of dealing with your boss? Do you feel underpaid and underappreciated? If you want to make it online, fire your boss and start living your retirement dreams now. Then you've come to the right place. Welcome to serve no master podcast where you will learn how to open new revenue streams and make money while you sleep Presented live from a tropical island in the South Pacific by best-selling author Jonathan Green Now here's your host
0: Ray and I have been in each other's orbits for about two years participating in different events, emailing back and forth. This is the first time we finally got to talk live. Boy, did he knock my socks off. It's a great interview that I know you guys are going to love. He's going to talk about turning your book into a successful business, his successful book launch process, and most importantly, how to get attention on your work without spending too much money. One of the mistakes that happens to many new authors is we just spend and spend because we don't know better. I know services that help you write your own book that cost more than a car. They don't even write the book for you, they just help you a little bit. Blows my mind how expensive some of these services are. I know editors that would charge ten dollars to $20,000. I know cover designers that charge north of $2,000. You can end up spending $100,000 to launch a book and because you don't know any better, that money's just gone, you'll never recover. I don't want that to happen to you and Ray is gonna make sure that doesn't happen to you Right now, hey guys, I'm really excited to have Ray Brem here. He's an amazing guy who's really an expert on book launches. He's going to be teaching us some really really cool stuff in the session. So please make sure you listen carefully. He's going to give us some really cool details. And I'd love to know uh, how you transitioned. I know you used to be in some other industries. How you got into books in the first place? How did that journey start?
2: Great question. I I uh, wonder that myself sometimes. But I I have been wanting to write a book for I don't know twenty years and. You know the the technology wasn't there when I first started. You know, I, in the '90s, I wanted to write a book. I'm like, someday I want to write a book, and and uh, uh, I just you know I have a folder here I keep just as a rem- reminder of all the little notes, like oh this would make a good book, and I had sketched out books and put it in sticky notes and different sheets, and and just sat on it because I just lacked the confidence and lacked the the idea was I, I didn't I don't know how to write a book I've never been taught how to write a book I've never been taught how to market a book or launch a book it just seems so far out there um, and then one day I was walking by a booth at the uh, Infusionsoft conference and there was an opportunity to write a chapter with Jack Canfield back here so I keep that as a reminder right above me and um, I said that's going to be the only way I really uh, force myself to to get into this world and get it done is committing, making a financial commitment. And, you know, so I signed up and then I got an email and said, your chapter's due in two weeks. I'm like, what? I don't even know what, you know, what I want to write about yet. Um, but I wrote about, and right at that time, I had just done a taken a course and done a stand-up comedy routine at the local or, you know, at the theater here in, in Phoenix. So the comedy center, uh, they taught us how to write jokes and all that. And then we had to get on stage and for a real performance, they brought in a headliner from LA and all of us students did our routines. And, uh, so I wrote about that and said, look, you know, there's four mental muscles muscles of success that you've got to deal with when you're doing anything as a, as an entrepreneur, as somebody who's trying to be successful and, uh, you know, like hecklers in the crowd. And I had somebody out there that was finishing my jokes before I started. And it was just like, well, how do you deal with that? Um, and you're going to get that if you stand on stage, right? So I did that, and then uh, I was in an entrepreneur group. One of the other entrepreneurs said, hey, I, you know, I need a book, and I'm like, well, let's do a um, a beta test, and we'll, we'll do your book from one of your seminars, and so I actually did somebody else's book before I ever wrote my own, and the rest is kind of history. I figured out how to do it, how to publish, and then started writing my own about that experience. And then, you know, I ran into the whole marketing and how to get bestseller and, and all that stuff. And um, then I had to learn that next step. So just keep, keep taking steps. And as I was going along, people started kind of clinging on saying, Hey, how'd you do that last thing you did? Oh, how, how'd you do that? How do, how are you marketing your books and, and so forth? So um, it was just kind of a, a, a way to get into the creative world of authoring and entrepreneurship and online businesses. And it all started with making a commitment before I had the confidence to do it.
0: So what do you think is kind of the biggest mistake first time authors make? Is it in the research process, the writing process, or the launch process? Like where do you think people get stuck the most? Well, there's a lot of
2: places to get stuck. And I think the place they get stuck the most is just the the fear. Some kind of fear is triggered and it and it shows itself in different ways. Like, hey, I don't know, I don't have my this is a big thing for me right now. Like I don't have my author website done. And it's like, okay, that you don't have to learn you don't have to become an expert in programming or HTML or WordPress or anything like that to get that done nowadays. The text there. Um well I don't have this somebody told you you couldn't write i mean if you went back and if i had to ask permission of my english teachers back in high school and junior high if i could write a book they'd be like no he's not allowed and because i just that was like the most boring subject for me it was like you know and then but you have to learn some of that stuff when you actually start writing um but i think it's at every stage you're going to hit some fear and it's going to be imposter syndrome. you know, it's based on fear, some kind of imposter syndrome, and then it manifests itself with, oh, I don't have time today, or I don't, you know, I don't have um, the resources, or it's going to cost too much. And really, it's all about just believing you can do it. And really, most people have something valuable to share, even if it's just one step ahead of the next person. Yeah,
0: a lot of people, um, they talk to me when their book is finished, and they're like, There's that space when the book's finished and they're hesitating to release it, hesitating to put it out and they get stuck there. It's amazing how often that happens. And they're always like, well, what if I get a bad review? What do you say to them?
2: Right. Uh, You cannot step into the ring without somebody disagreeing with you. You just, you you can't do it. It's going to happen. And there's a lot of that, you know, that can, even uh, on my like 10th book, I had some people just waiting till it released to write bad reviews. Uh, that was about a year ago. And man, it, you know, it took me 24 or 48 hours to kind of get past that mental state. And now it's, it's, you know, there's, there's some great quotes like Rachel Hollis says, uh, don't let people in the cheap seats take an expensive viewpoint on your life. And if uh, um, Brene Brown says, if this, per- if, if someone else is not in the arena, like you are, then they, they don't get to say anything about you. Um, I don't even at this point look at the reviews anymore because if you go out there and look at every book that you love, there's some horrible reviews out there on it, and it's just, it's, there's people out there that are just looking to, uh, you know, they're, they're unhappy about something in their life and they've, they've got to, they try to, they can take it out online and, and really if you're not getting bad reviews, you're not taking enough of a stand. Your, your book's probably boring anyway, because you've got to make some people really happy and make some people really mad in order for it to be good. And so it's a good way to tell if you've written a good book and it's, you know, you can't want to produce a work of art, like a book and then not put it out there far enough. Cause you could certainly do a little launch, just tell, not even advertise it, tell all your friends, get some good reviews and feel kind of good but you're really not spreading your message to the world and so uh it's just one of the things you should be prepared for but that's you know that's that's down the line you're going to hit a lot of little just rereading your own draft is like a harrowing experience right i think everyone of mine i'm like oh you're so close to the work that you get you get uh it's it's funny I, i haven't talked to anybody who we'll reread the first book they've ever written either. It's like, I don't, I don't want to do it. I was up at a, a seminar with Ray Edwards, you know, the copywriting guy. And he, he was like, so he's like, I can't stand to read my first book. And, uh, um, Nick Stevenson, I was talking to him and he's like, I, you know, I said, Hey, I'm reading that, you know, the, one of your fiction books. And he's like, Oh, I can't read that one. I, I don't even want to look at it. So everybody, every single author has that feeling.
0: so, uh, one thing that I find really interesting, you have a really good process for the entire book launch. Maybe you can give us that bird's eye view. If someone gets over that fear, they go, okay, I'm ready. I don't care if I get some bad reviews. It means I'm doing a good job. What do I do next? As I know a lot of people hit upload, they send the book to Amazon and they're ready for the money to start rolling in, And then they don't do anything else.
2: There's a, you know, it's interesting because you and I both know, like in the world of digital marketing, one of the first things you learn is about discovering your avatar. And so that's the process I take people through when we do, you know, we'll, we'll do, we do um, I'll either assist people or sometimes I even do their launches for them. And the first, but the first thing they have to give me is, you know, who are my author lookalikes? Who, who are the books that I'm either emulating the audiences that are similar to who I'm trying to target. And like you said, that's, there's kind of this myth that you just hit the button on Amazon and money's going to start rolling in. And, um, that's not going to happen. You actually have to try to target the right people. And so really the, the process I do is we, we go out and, and look on Amazon, we use Amazon and Google, and we will try to find similar authors. I,
0: that's really good. that You say that fun look like, cause I find a lot of people that go, Oh, there's no one like me. And then it's so hard to find your audience. Like I would love to say that There's nobody like me. No one's ever written a book about quitting your job before. I'm the first one who ever thought of it. I'm the first one who ever said, you know, it's cool to work online, but it's all a commodity. Like, it's like I'm selling bags of rice and everyone is. So I find that there are people I'm similar to, and then it's finding out what's my unique spin or what's my unique part of the story. So once someone figures out, okay, these are the books I want to emulate, this is the part of the Story. I want to. This is what makes me special. How do they start to get their message out there? Because I find the hardest part is like, yeah, if people start reading my book, they'll love it. But how do I get my book into those hands? How can I start getting attention?
2: Yeah. So what we do, we do that. We we'll go out and say, okay, if let's say I was in success and I've got you know, okay, Tony Robbins and Jack Canfield and a couple other people, I'll go out and look at the, Amazon. Will gives you the clues. You go. Click on their author profile and it'll show you the six or 12 other authors that are most commonly purchased by people that purchase Jack Canfield's book, for instance. And then I'll take those and I'll start building a list. And it's, I, I call it the the six degrees of Kevin Bacon because it's, that's, you know, the, the myth is that you can, well, I don't know if it's a myth, I think it's actually true, but that any actor in Hollywood, you can six movies connection to any other, uh, to Kevin Bacon it's the same you know, thing. It's like, we can, let's, we can move out six layers and get a ton of names. Now usually it doesn't even take that much to get a feel for what's going on. I'll usually try to get like 20 or 30 look like authors and we'll go over to BookBub and just start testing them. And a lot of times we do it during pre order. So it's, it's like, we're, we're just testing who's responding and I'll give you an example. So for instance, the this book, the snowball book launch, um, when I launched that book, I, w- I went out there when I was testing and, and it during pre-order. So I'm just accumulating sales. Of course, you know, I can hit Amazon bestseller anytime. And I did, and it stayed there the entire time during pre-order, but it was because I was testing all these authors and you might think like, okay, we've got some great people on here. Like, let's say I could say, Oh, I want to target uh, readers of Jonathan Green or Jesse Krieger or, or Derek Depker. And, that's who I thought would be the most responsive. But what was interesting was I, I did the testing and Gary readers of Gary Vaynerchuk had the highest click-through rate on my ads on BookBub. So that told me, okay, that's you know, there's a there's a whole nother kind of n- next degree of separation where it's like, okay, there are self-publishing guys that I would think be interested, but there's a lot of just digital marketing and and thought leaders. Audiences who would be interested in this book. And, you know, I think part of it was like, I got, I got Frank Kern to write the forward. So that, you know, that helped. But it, so that helped relate when they saw that on the ads. But we would do that. And then we start taking that information and saying, now let's put that in Amazon and say, okay, Gary Vaynerchuk, names of his books, let's see what keywords in Amazon work. And we just kind of go back and forth and test that. And, it just all, it makes a lot more sense than just kind of turning on a couple Amazon ads. And really, you've got to prime those Amazon ads anyway with clicks and, and sales from other sources. So um, that's what we like to do is really just dig in and get um, uh, you know some testing done on BookBub and start driving the, the algorithm on Amazon and then turn on some ads there and what I call cross-pollination where it's like, okay, now... Hey, you know, we found some keywords over here that're working, and that leads to this author. Let's go test this author in BookBub, and this other author is working on BookBub. Let's test his name and his keywords and and uh, and his book titles in Amazon. And we really do a lot with those two to get the you know to get launches going.
0: I think that's really interesting because most people don't talk about that. Um, I know my experience with running book testing ads and authors that I relate to. It's never. Who I expect, it's like, oh, this is what I'm just like, and I'm always wrong. So I'll test 20 authors. I can tell you that author, I'm the number one author. If someone likes Damon John's book, they're gonna like mine, and it's not like a little bit more; it's eight times. So someone is eight times more likely to click on my ad and buy my book than any other ad I ever tried, and this has worked for three different books. So for, there's something we got going on, and I'm not sure why. I would have never guessed it. It's just I was watching Shark Tank. Oh, y'all yeah, throw him in, right? Because he had a book out you know, and I, you know, I like his investment, all that stuff. I like watching him on the show. And I was like, oh, I guess people see me and him and they go, we're like two peas in a pod. But there's something about his book that eight times more up, uh, eight X's any other ad i have ever run. And every time I run it, I go, wow. So that's really interesting. Then you talk about going to the next level, because that's what I haven't thought of is then go and look at other people who are similar to his book and appearing on that page and then targeting them. So that's really cool. That's the next level. I think a lot of people, obviously I'm guilty of that. Don't think of the going deeper and deeper and deeper to find every similar author that's like the right fit. So besides the paid traffic, which is a great way to go, some people don't have a budget for that or they're intimidated by paid ads. I know I certainly always find paid ads a little bit overwhelming and stressful. So how can someone do other things to start to build up a little buzz or start to figure out where they're, they can carve a niche for themselves to get a little bit of attention? Yeah, I
2: mean, the other thing that took me a long time to figure out and uh, you know, it's, it's it's how you and I met too is is reaching out to other people that are similar, you know, in your niche or similar um, and seeing if you if they if they're willing to cross promote your book or maybe they want to be on if you've got a podcast, you you know, I ask them to be on your podcast, they may ask you to be on theirs. You can do some podcast outreach. Um, you know we call it like a virtual book tour type of thing. You can do some blog posts that stuff is um you know it 's arguably more powerful and it 's free. It just takes a little elbow grease right so um you know but now I can see a future and it 's look all this stuff takes a little bit of time to get started you can 't get overwhelmed on doing that if you can get a little help that's that 's great uh if you get you know if the, the you know after you every person it's the first person that's the hardest right the first million that's the hardest. it's the first person connection that's the hardest and then you know because of that first step you're going to get introduced to other people and connected and you know there's a lot of what I love about the online world is if you and I and everybody else lived in the same town we might you know in the old days with brick and mortar businesses we might feel like we're we're competing and, and, you know, there's only so many customers cause, but w- in the digital world, th- it's so abundant that you, we have to shake that mindset we probably grew up with, you know, that com- competition and, and, and really we're online. Everybody's your partner. And if somebody doesn't want to be, that's, that's fine too. They're probably, they're limiting themselves as much as they're you know, limiting you. But what I found is everyone I was afraid to reach out to was, you know, super nice, greet me with open arms. And, you know, once you build up a list, um, you know, uh, you know, it's for instance, you and I probably both know, I, we could come up, we, you and I could write a book right now online, right, you know, on this interview, and we can make it a bestseller, you know, by the time we get it, pu- you know, push publish, because we could just send it to our, our audience. And that's why, you know, one of the things that, and this is another thing that I did wrong and it's okay, but you got to start now is, is that email list is the most valuable thing. It's more valuable than your book. It's building your tribe and your email list and people that want to read, because not only will they read your books, but now you've got something to say, Hey, I, I can, I'll promote your book to my audience. And if you'll promote my book to your audience, and you've just doubled your, the size of the people that were going to see your next book. And that, you know, having something to offer is always the kind of the, the scary part of getting started. And really you do, because if you, if you can, you know, shout from the mountaintops about somebody else, man, that's valuable to them. So uh, that's another thing is do as I say, don't do as I did.
0: So a lot of people, I know so many authors, they build out a list and they never do anything with this. I recently was talking to someone they. they go, oh, I've been building a list for eight years. I've never emailed them. I'm about to send out that first email. What should I say? And I was like, don't do it. <laughs> no one's gonna remember that eight years ago, that eight years ago they said you could email me and they're just gonna go spam. I don't remember this guy, and you're gonna get banned. So um, and I, you know, I got an email today actually. That's why this is on my mind. Someone emailed me and said, Oh, Jonathan, I love your emails, but can you just send them to me once a week instead of every day? And I was like, I don't know how to do that. I don't have an option to give someone an individual version, I'm not there yet. Like I understand the idea, oh, we'll just make a digest list. And I get that email like every six months. And I know a lot of people, they go, oh, I email my list once a month or every six months because they don't want to be annoying. Um, and I just wonder where you see that balance and I, in how often people should communicate with their audience. Because I, the, I think you get a lot more spam complaints if you're forgotten than if you email too much. Because they go, who is this person? Spam. As opposed to, this is too much. Delete. What do you think? I completely agree. And I've been there.
2: I mean, I've, you know, was for the longest time when I started. And this is the stuff I kick myself for now. Because, um, how, you know, how much time did I waste in the beginning by not being ready to send emails or, um, you know. and And part of it is like, you can't. And I don't know your system exactly, but for me, it's like, you you have this idea in your head that, you know, I've got to write an email every day and it's not necessarily the case. You can write a few emails, you know, in advance and with the technology and send them out, especially if somebody's, you know, you're just putting them on a campaign, it's still the same useful information. Now, if you're wanting to send an email out about the coronavirus or something, well, then, okay, that's got to be timely. It's got to be now in a broadcast email. But anyway, what I did wrong was, one, I wasn't ready. And I, you know, Brendan Burchard says this thing about, look, it only takes an extra week to to make something great. And most people are yeah, let's just get it out and get it done. And if you can get your your, your lead magnet set and a great onboarding sequence, that's half the battle. And then, continuing to email them. And that could be campaigns, could be broadcasts, but I finally drew a line in the sand. Said I'm just way too inconsistent. And that's what people just, you know, there are some people that like that, like you said, the person you were just talking about. Um, But there are many, for me, I finally just said, I need to switch to every day. And if people don't like it, that they're probably not, then they don't like hearing about me. That's okay. Then they don't probably shouldn't be on the list. But um, I, ha- I, and I just cold Turkey made that switch, you know, where it was just kind of inconsistent at least, you know, once or twice a week, but they might go a week without something. And I just said, I'm going to send something every day and it might be somebody else's stuff. It might be my stuff. And I need to, but I need, my list needs to be, um, get used to just getting something every day. So they're not shocked by it or shocked by me making an offer or, um, sharing something, a, a tool I really love. And so that's the switch now that, you know, when you're starting out, that seems overwhelming, but it could be as simple as saying, I'm mapping out the first two weeks of what somebody is going to get. And maybe it's just every other day, every third day, what, you know, how, what cool stuff can you share those first couple of weeks? And then, Uh, You know, maybe they go to a, you know, at the very least you're going to broadcast, you know, every Friday, say your little, your newsletter. And then in between you can, you can start putting in offers. Now, I don't expect people to start with 365 days of content, um, but you can start with a couple weeks of content and that part's done. So every single person comes on your list, they're going to get stuff for two weeks. And then you add the next piece. Okay, if they've done the, if they've seen all my like stuff about that download they just got, what's next? Okay, here's what I have, and maybe that's another free thing, or maybe that's you know a, a small product. Maybe it's just selling them your next book on Amazon, but getting them, especially because the par- the the point they like you the most is that that very first opt in, and so you don't want to lose that. You know, if you can kind of maintain that feeling by sharing new things and and so forth, it's good. So, but that was a mental shift for me. I, and I was like, I don't want to bother people. And really, you know, people they're not there to be worried about that.
0: How do you deal with unsubscribes? Because I know that's like every day you look and it's like, oh no, 10 people said never email me again. And you, there's that feeling. It's like the same feeling we get that fear of the bad review. It's like, oh no, I I offended someone. And so they've clicked unsubscribe and I'll never get to talk to them ever again. They just broke up with me. (laughs) How do you feel about that?
2: I, you know, in the beginning, I used to click on it and see who they were and do I know them. And, you know, I remember I like a buddy of mine unsubscribed, I'm like, what is he doing? You know, but he wasn't going to buy anything from me. You know, he's just helping me out by being on the list at some point. And, um, and it, people don't have to be on my list to buy something from me. They just, you know, but they should be on the list if they enjoy my content or my dad jokes or whatever. Um, but I don't even look, look anymore. I think that's, to me, that's the almost, you know, I you know, 99% of the time, that was a good thing. If they unsubscribe, they don't like my message. They're never going to buy anything from me. Uh, and they've got enough other emails to look at and not everybody's going to stay forever. And if you try to cater to everybody, uh, you know, if, if I was just, you know, a trust fund baby and all, I was just trying to have fun and, and write emails. Fine. I might try to please everybody, but that wouldn't keep the people that were serious about learning more. And, uh, so I don't even look at it anymore. I mean, like to, you just said that I looked I sent a broadcast out today and uh, 15 people unsubscribed and three clicked on the spam button. But, and then I look at the average and I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's about right. 10 to 15 uh, per email. Um, and, but there's, you know, there's the same amount coming in that are interested. So if I can trade those out, or even if I don't go higher each day, if I can just, break even with people that are way interested and get rid of the ones that aren't, that's great. I mean, if, if, if I'm not helping them,
0: they shouldn't stay on it anyway. I think that's really good because it's, there's these phases we get to where we're afraid of a negative response. And it's just, if you think about it, like how often I unsubscribe to email lists all the time, I'm always trying to get off as many lists as I can. And all the time I go, I don't, and it's not that I hate the person and I'm tired of it. I go, I just don't have time for this you know it's never it's very rarely something as proactive as this person's a jerk it's mo- you know like we imagine when someone unsubscribes that we think it's a personal decision like that they agonized over but it really it's like eh, i don't you know what i'm probably not going to be an author click and that's it like it's not a big decision it's like a small decision or they're just decluttering their inbox or they're using an app so it's good to remind ourselves that it's not a personal attack. It's not a judgment of us. I, I get emails all the time. I accidentally unsubscribed. How do I get back on the list? And I'm like, again, that's a tech question. I'm not sure. So, you know, cause sometimes with some software, they they never let you email someone again because they don't want to ever bother someone. But it's interesting that people do it on purpose. They do it on accident. All these things happen. And we attach all this emotion to it. Uh, the next question I have is thinking about you talk about putting offers in front of people, like how, what is the first time you should try to sell something to your list or how should you try and monetize your list? Because I know so many authors, like they write that first book, they start building a the list. They have nothing to say to them or they, you know, they're like, what do I do? Do I tell them short stories? What do I write about? How do I generate some revenue from this list? Because we need, you know, we need to make money while we're writing the next book.
2: That's a great question. And, you know, I, I um, was talking to uh, someone the other day about this and, and I think you and I talked about it too a, a week or so ago, but the, the whole idea is you may have nothing and there's still something you can share. So for instance, um, it's called, you know, we call it a value ladder. So you might, you might sell your book for a dollar, and then you might sell a you know, uh, something for $7 and maybe a course for $47 and you go up and maybe you got, you know, $2,000 coaching or something. The sooner you can get that filled out the better, but it doesn't have to be your stuff. And so for instance, um, you know, there's, there's products I like that just help writing uh, and not all of them are, it can be affiliate for, but a lot of them you can. And it's so just being able to mention that to somebody and say, Hey, here's a, you know, here's a cool tool you can use. And you get a, you know, you get an affiliate commission. That's, I think one of the biggest things that people miss. And I, I got, I had it backwards myself. I mean, everything we're talking about, I did wrong. So take it from me, but I thought I need to get to this level of status, which I don't even know how you would measure it, but I just thought it's in the future before I can recommend other products. And before I can become a, I'll worry about being a pro affiliate later. If, if I was starting now and I just, I loved writing the book and I didn't know what was next, I would go out and find the tools that help people achieve what I said in the book and I'd become affiliates for it. And that could be your, 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 your email system, it could be your writing software, it could be um, you know, a, a success planner. I mean, for instance, if you're teaching people how to get daily habits and you don't have your own planner, you can create one pretty pretty inexpensively. But until then, just recommend a different one and use your affiliate link to Amazon and you can make some money. So, and and uh, in fact, you told me last week, I think, you know, that somebody bought a tv from you or something i don't know you know they clicked on an affiliate link and but anyway so you know being an amazon affiliate's one of the first things you can do and by the way you could say hey i like this other book and you point to somebody else's book and you still get it, you still get a commission if they click on and buy it so there's a you know a lot of ways to do that um my friend matt mcwilliams he's you know he, he, i was just talking to him the other day and he said you know number one thing you can do is put a toolbox on your site with all your affiliate links. And, you know, even the ones you don't have, you know, even just ones you're recommending um, because, wow, you can really do a lot. And, you know, I've been in this, you know, I was in the real estate business, property management business, where we, we, numbers was the name of the game. It's the same here, email list. Why not have these things in place as you're building your email list? So if you're hitting, you know, one out of every hundred transaction buys this $50 thing and you get 25 bucks. Well, that's a heck of a lot of uh, increase on volume just from your book as opposed to just royalties. And so getting some of these things in place, getting them in the book or on your site. And then as you grow your list, it's just going to start, you know, exponentially uh, building a revenue stream for you
0: from other people's stuff. That's really good. What you said about the toolbox page. I remember I was doing research a couple four or five years ago and someone said, Oh, the toolbox page is always one of the top three or four pages for traffic on anyone's website. And so I said, Oh, I better build one. And I learned it goes homepage, start here or about us, and then toolbox. So it gets massive amounts of traffic. I go, oh, you know what? Every time I visit someone's site, I go, what tools do they use? So I'm actually, it's funny, I just got a mess email from my page designer because we're redesigning our toolbox page, all these new custom graphics and all this stuff and updated to the tools that I use now because of course things change over time. And there's this feeling that it's salesy to get paid a commission to recommend stuff and how can someone overcome that feeling because i mean i don't have that problem like you know me i'll i'm fine with it because i rec- i only recommend stuff i believe in or stuff that i use but a lot of people go they'll they'll like if i can recommend a movie to you that i liked and get a commission for it why not but some people feel bad about that i'm like no you actually liked it so you should be allowed to do that why not how do you feel about that? Or how can people deal with that next fear in this process? Yeah, I, I mean, that's
2: a definite fear. And um, the, here's the thing. Once you once you understand it, like you and I, if you recommend something to me, I want to make sure I use your link, you know, bef- bef- knowing what I know now, but we got to get over this hump of, oh, I'm benefiting from somebody else. The the truth is, it never it never costs anybody more to use an affiliate link. And the way I'm positioning it now with uh, my an offer I'm going to be doing here pretty shortly is this big company over here is going to sponsor you to get my bonuses because, and so let's make them do, you know, let's, Hey, I, I could charge you this much for this thing, or you could just click on my link and let them pay me and it costs you nothing. Um, and that's, you know, and the people that, There's people that still don't like that, especially in, in, and most of the time that's because they're just starting out. Um, You know, and then there's people just starting out. It's like, Hey, use my link, use my link, use my link. And I mean, there's a subtle, there's an, there's an appropriate way to do it. But um, most of the time, I mean, if you, you probably have the same thing. It's like somebody recommends something to me and I, and I'll say, cool, you got an affiliate link, you know, like I want you to benefit from telling me about that. And you know if you told me about a great movie and they would give you a free pass for sending me there why wouldn't i do it and the person who doesn't want to do that for the most part they're probably not
0: somebody that belongs in your audience anyway that's really good it's cool we've covered some a lot of ground here all the way from coming up with your idea to launching the book to how to make money on the back end and i want you to say hey you know, thanks for spending time with us. I don't want to keep too much of your time. This was an amazing session. I know we went in a totally different direction than we were expecting, but sometimes magic happens. And so thank you so much for being here. I know the audience is having a really, really good time. And I can't, I just want to say thank you so much. We really, really appreciate it. Thanks, Jonathan. It's been fun. It was great. Thank you so much for listening to my interview with Ray. I hope you guys enjoyed it as much as I did. You can find out more about him at raybram.com. R-A-Y-B-R-E-H-M.com. We've got the link in the show notes and below the episode. And if you like what Ray had to say, please leave a comment below the blog post or below the YouTube video if you're watching this on the YouTube feed. And thank you so much for spending time with us. This is the last episode in this mini series on authorship. We did 10 of these. I know that's a lot. That's two and a half months on authorship. Starting next week, we're gonna have new amazing content. We're gonna put together some other mini series we're gonna continue doing interviews as long as you guys continue giving positive feedback. So please take the time to just click a thumbs up below the video or just give me a yes or we appreciate it or thank you or that was interesting or even an okay, a comment that just was two letters, I'll take it. And of course, if you have a chance to leave a review on iTunes or any of the other podcast feeds, if you're listening to this on Spotify or anywhere else, please, the feedback means a lot to us. So thank you so much for listening and I'll see you in the next episode.
1: Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Serve No Master. Make sure you subscribe so you never miss another episode. We'll be back next Tuesday with more tips and tactics on how to escape that rat race. Head over to servenomaster.com forward slash podcasts now for your chance to win a free copy of Jonathan's bestseller, Serve No Master. All you have to do is leave a five-star review of this podcast. See you Tuesday.
0: Ready to turn your book into a bestseller? Find out what other authors don't want you to know at servenomaster.com forward slash secrets.